Space calling. You're listening to Wild Weasel, a podcast about wargaming news, wargaming ideas, and wargaming people. I'm Bruce Garrick, your host and electronic warfare technician. everyone. Welcome to Wild Weasel number four. Or, if you'd listened before, then welcome back. I've done a lot of gaming, at least for me, in the last four weeks since the last Wild Weasel, and I talked about some of it on the Three Moves Ahead podcast. My co-host Rob Zachney flew in for a visit, and we played some Triumph and Tragedy, which I played for the first time and really enjoyed, and Fire in the Lake, uh, which I've been enjoying for a while. Rob had never played a coin game before, so he talked a little bit about what he thought about the system now that he experienced it. We then went through the list of current and upcoming coin games, and I somehow completely missed Harold Buchanan's Liberty or Death, even though it was the subject of my musings on The Last Wild Weasel. For that, pretty much everyone on my Twitter feed pointed out my error, including Harold. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Uh, to make it up to y'all, I'm going to have Harold Buchanan on a segment of Wild Weasel in the near future. Um, I also promised you all a top 10 list, uh, solitaire games list, so that's coming up after the mid-program chat. However, I decided to split it up again, so we'll do 6 to 10 today and 1 to 5 next time. But first, the news. In the news this week, there is one new Wargaming Kickstarter out there for a game called Moscow 41 by a company called Vento Nuovo Games, uh, which I think means New Wind in Italian. At least that's what Google says. Uh, My friend Ross initially emailed me about it a few weeks ago, and then as I was putting together this episode, I saw a tweet about it from the podcast Heavy Cardboard, um, which is a podcast devoted to heavier Euros, but as well as some war games. Um, You should check it out. Uh, Vento Nuovo's website says they were founded in 2012, so they're fairly new, and their lineup seems to be composed... Almost, I guess entirely of block games, it looks like. Uh, their Moscow 41 game being kick, uh, launched in this Kickstarter is definitely a block game. Uh, you can see pictures of it. Um, and the campaign is already funded, but has some stretch goals. Um, and as of, well, today is April 26th. I think it only has five days left to run, so you better hurry. Um, you can find a link in the Kickstarter, uh, to the Kickstarter, I'm sorry, uh, on the Wild Weasel webpage. And you can also visit Vento Nuovo at www dot v-e-n-t-o-n-u-o-v-o dot net so legion war games uh, has added two games to their customer pre-order list uh the first one is a glorious chance which is a solitaire game by gina willis about the struggle for the uh, control of lake ontario during the war of 1812 it's very interesting Uh, i don't know anything about that subject but it's exactly the kind of esoteric topic that legion war games is so good at making memorable through gameplay so i'll be interested to see how that one turns out um but also, 
Added by Legion War Games, game number two to the pre-order list is a game entitled Nemesis Colon Burma1944 by my favorite designer, Kim Kanger. Uh, Kim is responsible for the outstanding uh, Dien Bien Phu colon The Final Gamble, which was number one on my top ten war games list in a previous Wild Weasel. Actually, the uh, very first Wild Weasel episode. And I guess I don't have to say that I'm really looking forward to what Kim comes up uh, with for with this. Um, Burma is one of my favorite esoteric theaters in um, in warfare. And uh, knowing Kim, it's going to be very interesting. So I've pre-ordered that one. That wasn't even a question. Um, <clears throat> MMP sent out their spring customer update, gosh, I think it was like two weeks ago now. Uh, there are two games that, are, that were listed in that update as, uh, quote, almost ready to go, end quote, um, as far as their pre-order numbers are concerned. But now their website is quoted as pre-order number reached. Um, so I guess they made it uh, in, that, uh, in that time. Uh, one is Masahiro Yamazaki's Last Stand, colon, The Battle for Moscow, 1941 to 42. Um, so I guess it's uh, Moscow battle, Battles for Moscow month uh, in the wargaming world. Uh, another one is Last Blitzkrieg by Dean Essig uh, of the Gamers. Um, that's the first game in the new Battalion Combat series. And they've got all these different combat series. The Standard Combat series, the Tactical Combat series, Operational Combat series... So now we've got Battalion Combat Series. So uh, Last Blitzkrieg is about the Battle of the Bulge. Yeah, uh, It has four maps and 1,680 counters. So uh, the blurb on this says, and I'm going to quote this, This painstakingly tested game provides, provides insights not seen before in the long line of Bulge simulations. End quote. Um, I'd really be interested to know what those insights are. Could someone fill me in? I'm serious. So that's BCS from MMP. Uh, if you want OCS, there is Tunisia 2, which is a reprint slash update of a game from 1995, as well as Operational Matters, a magazine about the Operational Combat series that also includes a full game about Sicily. Um, if you want SCS, then there's a game called Panzer Battles, colon, 11th Panzer on the Cheer River, and that's on pre-order now. And um, yeah, I'm just a sucker for uh, Operation Winter Storm. Actually, I guess that would, would that be Winter Storm? No, that would be after Winter Storm. Um, anyway, all that stuff I'm a total sucker for. Uh, that's one I'll likely get. Um, one other game by MMP that I should mention, uh, they have a game called Front Towards Enemy. Uh, it's a tactical game about firefights during the Vietnam War. Um, there aren't a heck of a lot of those. I mean, there's the Lock and Load uh, game about it. Um, the Forgotten Heroes, I think, Vietnam. But I don't know too many more, so um, I think I'm going to pick that one up, too. That that should be interesting. Um and then let me just slip in a mention uh, of Operation Mercury, which is a five-map monster about the invasion of Crete. Um, I remember liking Hunters from the Sky a long time ago. Uh, that's a tactical combat series game uh, about the battle for uh, Malamay Airfield. And even though I have serious doubts I'll ever play this, gosh, I really do want it. So, um, so please pre-order it so I get it sooner. No, that's not an advertisement. Um, Speaking of lock and load um, earlier, you don't see board game demos much. So I thought I'd mention that if you're at all interested in the lock and load uh, tactical system, either World War II or the modern version, you can download a scaled-down print-and-play version from their website. Uh, it's limited, but, it, you know, it's a demo. Um, the link is too complicated to read out loud. It'll just be too confusing. You'll have to write it down. So just go to the uh, link on the Wild Weasel page. It'll be right there. Um, there'll be separate links for each version. Um, they even had a free printed version of this available back in January, uh, but that sold out quickly. Sold. I guess I think he still had to pay for postage. Um, 
let's see. Um, oh, I bought a game recently called Cuban Missile Crisis from Microgame Design Group, uh, and I thought I'd pass along the fact that they do, in fact, exist. Um, MDG was a company that published a lot of games way back when, um, including Paul Rohrbaugh's uh, La Vallée de la Mort that I reviewed in one of my videos. But uh, Microgame Design Group shut down back in 2004. So they're back, and uh, actually they have, they've been back for about five years. I'm, I'm, this is not breaking news. Um, but I finally got around to buying Cuban Missile Crisis, and I was pleasantly surprised to see that they um, have improved the physical quality of their products. They even have a picture of their die cutter on their website. Very interesting. Um, the games come without a box, um, but apart from that, um, I mean, they're much better than the old desktop publishing quality. I was, I was pleased. Um, you can find them at, okay, I'm going to read this, members.shaw.ca slash Anderson with a K, slash mdg slash mdg.html yeah or you, you can just click on the link in the wild weasel page it'll be right there uh let's see from gmt games uh there's one new addition to the p500 list that i know of it's uh entitled arquebus uh, and that's a game by richard berg uh that's billed as number four in the men of iron series okay so i haven't played the other three games in the men of iron series but i got the email announcement a week ago Actually, no, wait, two weeks ago. Something like that. Uh, the last time I checked, it had 325 pre-orders, so I'm guessing uh, we'll likely be getting more Men of Iron soon. Uh, okay, occasionally I'll get some recommendations from people I play games with, uh, and these are people that I trust and whose opinions I value, so I'll occasionally pass interesting stuff along to you guys. But remember, this is this is uh, being told to me, so um, I'm taking it on faith. But I thought I'd uh, mention that one of the games from GMT... Uh, that my friend David uh, emailed me about, he's recommending to me, is called Operation Dauntless. And that's about the battles between the British and Germans around Caen in 1944. Now, I have to say, I'm not particularly interested in Normandy games, really, of any sort anymore. But David says that this one is special because of how well the designer, uh, Mark Mokshitsky, has documented both the historical situation and his design process. And I admit to being an absolute sucker for any kind of designer's notes. Um, that's the first thing I read as a kid after buying any game. I'd flip to the back and say, ooh, look at the designer. What is the designer saying? Uh, and this is also the same system that uh, Mark used in his previous design, Red, uh, Red Winter, um, about uh, a battle in the uh, uh, Russo-Finnish War. So I guess as far as Operation Dauntless goes, so I'm reconsidering my decision not to buy in. Maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll jump for it. Uh, Fortunately for everyone who does like this historical situation, uh, the game is already out. Uh, it shipped to P500 purchases on August, uh, sorry, on August, February 8th. So you can uh, pick it up right now if you want. Um, the reprint of Red Winter, uh, unfortunately, is still mired on the P500 list. Um, the big news for me, though, uh, and it's really big news, is that GMT and Playdeck have released the PC version of Twilight Struggle. Now, this game had some issues in beta, um, which I experienced because I backed the Kickstarter. And I, I do admit that I was really worried about how it would turn out. I thought it was going to be a disaster. I was going to kill you know, enthusiasm for the game. Um, I thought it was going to be another Kickstarter that didn't pan out. But <laughs> you know what? It turned out great. Um, I've played a bunch of games against the AI, which, which is the AI is not terrible at all. And uh, I bought six or so. No, more than that now. I think like 10 online games going as well. Um, and I'm really very impressed with how well the game just presents information and how easy it is to progress through the various gameplay steps and just see what's happening. And uh, The interface in general is at the top of its class. And um, it has online multiplayer, as I said, but it allows for asynchronous play, and it's also very smooth. So 
this is a wholehearted recommendation for me. Um, the price is uh, just $14.99, and that's on Steam. And that's the news. So for our talk today, I am very lucky to have Alan Emrick, the founder of Victory Point Games, the little game company that could. Um, Victory Point is known for publishing a whole bunch of different games on different topics, a lot of very, very good ones. Um, but because this is a war game podcast, uh, I'm going to just uh, dive right into war games with, uh, with Alan. Alan, welcome. Hey, how you doing, Bruce? Good. I'm very glad that you're able to talk to us. Um, so I just want to I want to talk a little bit about the wargaming part of Victory Point. I know that you guys publish a lot of different kinds of games. Uh, I've played many of your games, uh, enjoyed many of your games, uh, even the ones that are not war games. Um, the uh, but the wargame part uh, intrigues me. What what kind of war games um, would you like to see at Victory Point Games that you don't have sort of right now? And I I don't mean that you're looking for these games in particular, like you're out searching, but just in your own musings. What what kind of stuff would you like to see uh, from a war game standpoint at Victory Point? Well, what I like to see in war games are uh, accessibility war games, I guess you'd call it bridge war games. Um, games that would intrigue any gamer and move them toward thinking about history or and or military history. Mm -hmm. uh, those are the kinds of games I like. Uh, and in fact, a million years ago, uh, let's see 30 okay uh 30 years ago in uh, 1986 i was publishing fire and movement magazine mm -hmm. we did a beginner's guide to strategy gaming because that was the politically correct name for war games mm. and uh, in it we introduced a new free introductory game battle for moscow designed okay. by frank chadwick yep and uh and that's my kind of thing i like games that people can just pick up and start playing and a lot of our war games are on that into the complexity scale. Uh, in fact, right now I'm just finishing up the prototype for Battle for Moscow 2. Oh, really? Um, Frank Chadwick has designed a whole new ETO, European Theater of Operations, a game system based on Battle for Moscow, but it includes all the things that war gamers really like. You know, it's got an air system and things like that. And we're getting ready to send off the playtest kits. We just put up the call to playtesters for Battle for Moscow 2. That's a great bridge war game. And we even make the quasi-war games, like Wings for the Baron. Yes. It's kind of a Euro technology placement game, but it's drenched in history. Right. And people get interested in the subject and will start picking up war games. Same with um, another one we just sent off for playtesting, High Treason, The Trial of Louis Real. It's a, it's a courtroom drama game with a prosecutor and a defense two-player card game. Mm -hmm. But it's history-based, and it gets people to want, who's Louis Riel? Why is he so important? Oh, Canada had a Wild West? What? So it, we like games that, that stir that. That's why we have games like The Last King of Scotland and uh, the Napoleonic 20 games, you know, games that are accessible, drenched in history, and open up people's minds to learn more. Yeah, the Napoleonic 20 games are interesting. Um that's the uh, the idea that you just have these these Napoleonic battles that are very uh, 
Um, what's the 24? I mean, they're very they're very easy to get into. Is that I, I was <laughs> is that like 20 20 minutes to before you start playing or or when when Joe Miranda created the first Napoleonic 20 game, it was Waterloo 20. It was for a newsletter for the strategist, mm-hmm. and it was on you know black and white mimeographed pages of pieces of paper, and the 20 was for the uh, counter limit he imposed on himself. Interesting. 20 the game counters? had about 20 counters. And all of the games have about, you know, 20 counters, give or take. So mm-hmm. we just stuck with 20. It's a nice little, you know, uh, branding. And uh, and it works. It, it's great. I'm, I'm In fact, as uh, as we speak, I'm uh, just uh, editing the rules for Espana 20 Volume 2. And uh, we just sent off the playtest kits for Imperial Sunrise 20. So. Oh wow! The twenties march on. Okay, well, that's um, is that is that something that you can extend to uh, to different uh, time periods then? We might, but the, the, this is a, a particular system. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have we have other systems for other time periods, and uh, honestly, it's just a matter of getting to them. They're great little games, and we have a lot of one-off systems. We have other game designs in the system, but the um, the problem is. Development bandwidth. Mm-hmm. Um, war game development bandwidth is not as easy as you might think. We like to keep the quality high. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of stuff in house. Mm-hmm. Um, and two of our key war game developers have gone off and faced real life. Okay. So, uh, which leaves our, our tables a tad empty. But, you know, gotcha. you still got me, and I'm, uh, I'm developing like a guy with his hair on fire, which is pretty good because I got no hair. <laughs> Excellent. So, so um, well, that's interesting. I want to let's follow up on that because I'm interesting, uh, interested to know with war game development, how, how is that different from uh, from Euro development in in terms of uh, in terms of the requirements it has? <laughs> to me, basically, it's who shows up on Saturdays to play test games. Mm. Mostly, I can find play testers for the non war games, but I I've got some stalwarts and uh, and they'll help play test the war games. A lot of the war games are play tested out of house. Okay. You know, uh, war game clubs in France and Italy and all over the United States. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and uh, so we have to, you know, measure that input. But then we'll take everything and we'll do it here. We'll do all the editing here. We'll proof all the maps and the counters. And all that is, is very much in-house and under tight control. One thing we do pride ourselves on is we try and maintain a pretty high standard of quality. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's from not farming things out and you know having a lot of mistakes made right so. well play testing i mean is the is the key to all of that right i mean if you play test a game enough you're going to find most of the problems and people will ask all the questions and if you don't play test the game then you'll get all those Granted, questions on, and, on board and those, game those are the worst problems and the ones that every war game publisher wants to squash however symbol for comma mm-hmm. you notice that a lot of problems in games don't come from play testing they come from proofreading or layout or mm-hmm. color selection right 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 of course you know, yeah. There, yeah there's a million things that could really spike your wargaming experience and those things we're very uptight about mm-hmm. we want the little things to go right got it okay um well so then tell me about is, when you're when you're working on these you know you have a company that has war games and more general interest games it just sounded to me like uh, you have more interest in those general interest games and can playtest those more easily. Is that what you were telling me? Well, it's it's on Saturdays. It's easier to just lasso players 
Well, I'll, I'll... yeah, I mean, general interest games get general interest gamers, but I mean, we we still had them here for Nemo's War, which mm-hmm. is a war game, solitaire war game, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, can't wait to ship that off to China and get it printed. Mm-hmm. We're getting the last bits of art right now. Yep. Wings for the Baron is another quasi, you know, war game. Yeah, tell, I'm going to tell people a little bit about that. That's where you're designing, you're you're basically designing aircraft for uh, for the Germans yes. uh, to 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 fly. But uh, you're you're there's no, it's not air combat. It's aircraft design. Right. It's a business game. Mm-hmm, right. The guy who wins the war with the most money mm-hmm. wins. But it's it's very competitive and. There's a lot of technical innovations that are going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, trying to get rid of all the the wirings and struts so your your airplane is more streamlined mm-hmm. and putting on cantilevered wings and experimenting with, you know, thick wings and agility and different mm-hmm. kinds of engines and stuff. It's pretty neat and people get into it awfully fast. Mm-hmm. And it was so popular on the on the playtest tables. You were only everybody was designing their fighter, the the Roland or the Foltz or the the Fokker, you know, mm-hmm. each company has its own special ability, and they're working on their fighter. Right. And it was so popular that we designed a campaign game for it that included a recon airplane and a bomber. So now you're managing three kinds of planes, and they each have their place in the war that you're trying to help win. Because mm-hmm. if you lose the war, there's devastating inflation, and a lot of your money gets wiped out. Right. That's um, but that's a game that I think a lot of people would not necessarily run across, uh, but they might be interested in the historical theme, um, just uh, not necessarily uh, see it as a war game, um, and then maybe pass it up. So I, I'm glad we mentioned that. Let's let's talk about um, a game that you guys just released. Uh, I'm fascinated by this. It's a solitaire game. You guys do a lot of solitaire games. You have a solitaire game by somebody who I guess doesn't, design war games, um, but he works for you. Tell me about um, Chosen Few and uh, Nathan Hansen. Well, uh, Chosen Few is, of course, about the Battle of the Chosen Reservoir during the Korean War, 1950. Mm-hmm. And Nathan is our company factotum. Mm-hmm. He can build anything. Okay. Uh, I mean, build with the, the laser cutters in the back and all the machines in the factory, mm-hmm. but he can also build with the playtest components and make games. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he's a game designer. He's done a few other games. He's done a, a kid's game called Why, where you try and get your chickens across the road. It's a lot like Frogger. It's really cute. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, he does a lot of abstract games, but this one, he fell in love with the theme when he read up on the subject. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, there's a game there. Yeah, well, it's that, a compelling subject for sure. <clears throat> well, how many game designers have just kind of seen something and said, you know, there's a game there. Well, mm-hmm. that's what Nathan did. Right. And, um, yeah, he just started designing it out. He, the impossibility of the situation is omnipresent in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll get wiped out almost every time. How those uh, Marines and, and Army soldiers got out of there is nothing short of miraculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Nathan, he can, he can pretty much make anything. Okay. So, so that was, how did that come? Did he just decide, Hey, I want to try to make this game and uh, you, you said, know, yeah, go for it. <laughs> One day I walked in the office and there was a prototype on the table yeah. and he was pushing the cubes and rolling the dice. And it's like, there it is. In fact, today he did it again. Uh, I walked in and boom, out of nowhere, there's a play test kit 
for a new game in the Dawn of the Zeds universe, Dr. Martus's lab. Really? Yeah, and it's just like, that didn't exist yesterday. You know, he's been thinking about it since the weekend, and now there it is on the playtest. Okay, well, you got to keep him, then, I think. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's he's, yeah. he's a good guy. He's a keeper. Okay. Well, um, I've got one more question for you, and, mm -hmm. and that would just be, you know, solitaire games. Um, as far as war games go, is there something in solitaire war games that you're not seeing that you think might be uh, might be a way to go? Um because you know you have a very you have a very very popular uh, system, the state of siege system, um, and there's variations on that. You guys just published uh, Empires in America, second edition. Um, right. What uh, What do you guys What do you What do you see as a way that these solitaire war games can develop? Well, I see a lot of people are doing solitaire war games now. I I, I guess they noticed us. <laughs> um, but I'll tell you what I don't like. Okay, I good. don't like uh, big, you know, uh, war games that are solitaire. Okay. And you got to sit there and, 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 you know, bean count and, and move every little thing. I could play a two-player war game that way. I don't need a solitaire engine so much. And, right. Uh, I like what we have, you know, mm -hmm. sweeping things going on, lots of uh, narrative told through the gameplay, mm -hmm. getting that, you know, the... I hate to say Hollywood level story, but that's kind of what I'm thinking. So you you get the broad strokes, and again, it'll encourage people to uh, to learn more about the subject. Right. Now, now and, I would uh, I would you can't argue, have enough of those. I would argue that that um, you know these the very large solitaire. Uh, you're you're fortunate, obviously. You can just call people up and on a Saturday have people show up and play games with you. But I think there are probably gamers who don't have that ability. And so their large, complex, bean-counting war game that has a solitaire system is is a real boon for them because if it didn't have that, they couldn't play those large kinds of games. Oh, you, you, it takes all kinds of games to make a hobby. Yeah. But that's not what I would be interested in publishing. Okay. Well, it makes it make, makes sense that if you publish things that you're interested in, you right. maybe they, they, could, they turn out better because you know what you're looking for and you can you can hone that, I guess. So. Um, you can you can leave the bean counting uh, solitaire game to somebody else. Although I, I uh, you have a you have a slightly more complex solitaire game that I love. It's one of my favorite solitaire games, which is a Barbarossa campaign. Ah uh, yes, um, and you know that was probably the hardest rule book mm -hmm. I ever did. Really, because nothing in that game systems mechanics is like any other game. Correct. Everything had to be explained from zero. Yes. It had to be explained with lots of examples because it's a solitaire game. You got no one to teach it to you. Mm -hmm. That was a real rules challenge. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's a game that uh, I, I I would hope that so, at some point you guys do. Um, it's on our radar, yeah, yeah, but, you know, yeah. uh, at the end of the day, there's only one of me. Yep. And until I can get some more war game development firepower in house, they're just you know going to come out one at a time as best yep. as I'm able to do things. I've yep. got huge stacks of stuff. <laughs> got it. Okay, fair enough. Well then, uh, then I'm going to let you get back to that because I feel like then every minute I'm taking is a minute that uh, war game is delayed. So <laughs> I, I appreciate your time, Alan. I really enjoy talking to you. Okay, Bruce, and and all your listeners. I hope you come by VictoryPointGames.com and uh, see what we have to offer. There's a little something for everybody. Uh, small games, great gifts. Thanks. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye.
I don't want to make this segment the Bruce gives a top 10 list of X segment, but someone did make a good suggestion in the comments section after the first episode on wargamespace.com, which was to follow up my list of best games with my list of best solitaire games. After all, you know, the hobby has a long tradition of playing games solitaire, even games that aren't meant to be solitaire, and it's developed this whole subgenre of solitaire games that um, they didn't really exist, at least not in their present highly evolved format, I'd say, even 15 years ago. Uh, I'm sure there were good solitaire war games designed in the 1980s. Uh, you might hear about some of those uh, on the list that's coming up, but you know, the real breadth of design now makes them worthy of their own top 10 list, I think. So I agree with my... Uh, with my reader, uh, appreciate the suggestion, and um, have come up with my own 10 best. Uh, remember, this is just my opinion, and looking at the list, um, I think it shows the things that I value in two-player war games are things that I value in solitaire games as well. Um, one thing, don't misconstrue this list as, uh, you know, these are the 10 solitaire games you should buy regardless of your experience with war games or with solitaire games. Um, this is not that. Um, I'll mention the games that I think are best for new players as I go along. So at number 10, I have a small but very engaging game by Herman Lutman called In Magnificent Style. Uh, it's published by Victory Point Games, um, who publish a lot of good solitaire games, as I had uh, discussed with Alan Emmerich um, earlier in this, in this podcast, including one called Nemo's War, um, which would be on this list if it were a war game, which it isn't. Um, but In Magnificent Style definitely is a war game, even though it uses a uh, mechanically simple push-your-luck mechanism. Uh, the game itself is about uh, Pickett's Charge. You uh, are General Pickett, and you're pushing your troops uh, across the field at Gettysburg towards the Union positions on Cemetery Ridge. Um, and I think that push-your-luck is a perfect mechanic for this theme. Um, the theme kind of implies pluck and desperation, as does the mechanic, and the way Herman designed it makes it very replayable because of how differently it can play out each time. Um, I find that this can be a problem with smaller historical solitaire games, where the combination of few mechanics and the you know existing historical constraints combine to make the theme seem thin. Uh, but the way Herman integrated the battlefield topography, the daunting goal, and a real gambler streak make it the perfect portable solitaire game. Um, I highly recommend this for anyone trying a solitaire game for the first time. Uh, that's In Magnificent Style at number 10. Now, at number nine, I have Dan Versen's Phantom Leader. Um, Dan has a whole series of leader games, from Hornet Leader, uh, which I think was the first one, to Tiger Leader, Apache slash Thunderbolt Leader, U-Boat Leader, and so on. But I think Phantom Leader is the best of the bunch, and it represents the series very well. It combines a role-playing element in the form of pilot experience with uh, also rivet-counting hardware porn, as they say, and a hefty dose of, uh, dose of risk management. So I like Phantom Leader both because of the time period, uh, which is the Vietnam War. Um, you're flying missions uh, that are sort of selected for you um, over uh, enemy territory, although you have there, you have input into that. Um, and the way the game implements terrain, as well as just the variety of missions. Um, this is another game that I think would work well for a first-time solitaire player um, or relatively new war gamer, although not necessarily a new gamer. But anyway, that's Phantom Leader at number nine. Now, my number eight might be open to refutation by people who have uh, played the game more recently than I have, but I'm going to reach back to one of the classic solitaire games of all time, which is Victory Games' Ambush! Exclamation point. Um, it's a game about tactical combat in Normandy, uh, sort of at the individual level, 
And uh, I've played this game, and it's move out, exclamation point, expansion, so much in high school that uh, I basically memorized all the missions. And that's really the problem with this design. You know, Once you've played all the scenarios, you're kind of out of luck because they're really stories with secret endings just in scenario form. Um, but it plays, played wonderfully anyway, um, and that's why the expansion was so highly anticipated. Um, it's definitely a game that you can finish in the way you finish a computer game. Um, while there are some modern board games that do this, um, Pandemic Legacy comes to mind, uh, episodic games like this never really caught on. Um, the big caveat here is that I haven't played it since then, and then was 30 years ago. So who knows if it holds up, but it's a John Butterfield game, so I suspect that it does. Now at number seven, I have a bit of a cop-out. So um, while I have played this game recently, or at least in the past few years, uh, even though it came out not too many years after Ambush, um, this number seven is really two games. Uh, I know, I know, this is kind of uh, the Weasley waffling that we like to ordinarily uh, avoid in our podcasts. Yeah, but so what? Um, this is Victory Games Carrier, uh, designed by John Southard. Um, it came out in 1990, and to this day, it's one of the most intricate solitaire systems I've ever run across. Um, not just complicated, but intricate in how each system affects uh, another one. Um, I remember buying this, playing a few games, and then a few years later buying Microprose's uh, Harpoon computer game. And then playing that instead, and then going back to Carrier, uh, and then buying SSG's Carriers at War, uh, and playing that instead. Um, I actually like SSG's Carriers at War, the first one, not necessarily the second one. Um, and then followed by many other computer uh, war games. But um, I didn't get back into Carrier until a couple years ago. And while I still have little interest in playing Carriers at War now, either version, um, even it's in its most recent form, um, I'm still fascinated by how well Carrier and its sister game, Tokyo Express, hold up. So I'm including Tokyo Express here because that's a great game as well. Um, and I just can't decide which one I like more. Um, it's also a John Southard design. It uh, came out two years before Carrier, I think. Um, I think the way that Carrier uh, tries and really largely succeeds in solving problems of searching for something that isn't actually there is brilliant. Um, but Tokyo Express um, is also a great game and has the benefit of having some decent two-player rules, too. So um, I think this is probably going to be my next video project when the DNB and Foo series wraps up, although I'm not quite sure yet. Uh, in the end, I just didn't want two Pacific Naval War games from one designer taking up two spots on my top ten list. So it is how it is. Number seven is Carrier and Tokyo Express. Now, my number six game... Uh, is an old favorite. Um, I've been a fan of John Butterfield's games for a long time. Uh, just put Ambush in that list. I think he's a tremendous designer. Uh, and the first game of his that I played, uh, Solitaire game, was RAF. Uh, it's a brilliant game about the Battle of Britain. It was published by West End Games in the mid-'80s, and uh, it basically ran German raids against you while you decided how you deployed the Royal Air Force uh, and flew interceptions. It simulated all sorts of things, uh, had a neat system for detection, recreated the air combat, everything. It was pretty fiddly, but then all solitaire games were fiddly back then, maybe with the exception of B-17 and Patton's Best. Anyway, it got republished by Decision Games a few years ago and added the ability to play the Luftwaffe. Now, I haven't played that version, uh, and a friend of mine recently told me that he liked the original version a lot until it broke for him, but it never really broke for me, so... I'm just going to go with um, with RAF as my number seven 
uh, in its original 1987 form. To recap then, we have In Magnificent Style at number 10, Phantom Leader at number 9, Ambush at number 8, Carrier and Tokyo Express together at number 7, and RAF at number 6. Next time, we'll go from 5 to 1. And that's the end of this episode. Tune in next time for more news, a very interesting chat, and my favorite solitaire war game of all time. It might not be what you think. Until then, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Wild Weasel. This has been Wild Weasel number four.